Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Week Ahead. I'm Tony Nash, and today we have Tracy Shukart and Albert Marco uh, joining us. Uh, we're going to walk through, through a number of topics today. First is uh, energy prices, low energy prices. We want to understand why that's happening and what's around the corner. Next, we're looking at China tech and potentially the stimulus in China and how that will impact tech. Uh, finally, we want to look at equities. What remaining upside is there in equities right now, given the environment we're in? Uh, before we get started, uh, I would like to ask you to like and subscribe to the channel. Also, uh, give us your comments. We're very active and respond to comments. So please let us know what you're thinking. If there's something else we should be covering, let us know. Also, we have a promo for our subscription product, CI Futures right now for $50 a month. Um, with CI Futures, you get equity indices, commodities and currencies reforecast every week. And you get all of those plus uh, about 2,000 economic variables for the top 50 countries reforecast every month. So please check it out on the link below, $50 a month for CI Futures. Okay, so guys, um, we've had a really weird week with the Pelosi visit to Taiwan. Uh, geopolitics and the risk associated with geopolitics is kind of back on. Um, we're not really sure exactly how that's going to resolve but I'm really interested in the moves we're seeing in energy, Tracy. And you know, we've we've seen energy really fall throughout the week. And I'm curious why we're seeing that, particularly with crude, as we've seen geopolitics dial up. I know there's not a perfect correlation there, but we typically see crude prices rise a bit when geopolitics. Uh, I, I think it's up. a combination of a lot of things. First of yep. all, we've had, <clears throat> you know which is ramped up to 200 million barrels being released to the SPR, which is fine initially, but we're looking at the cumulative effect of this. In fact, we're releasing so much so fast that now those barrels are actually finding their way overseas because we have nothing else to do with them. Um, or, you know, we can't, we can't process that much right now. <clears throat> and so we, we're looking at that, which is, putting um, a damper kind of on the front end. We're also looking at the fact that open interest is almost at the lowest in a decade, which means there's nobody participating in this market, right? I mean, people are just not participating in this market. In addition, we have um, physical traders that are completely non-existent in this market anymore. They're all trading via Clearport on the OTC market, as I've talked to some actual physical traders, they don't even want to be involved in this volatility. And so that's also taken a lot of open interest out of this contract. So, you know, this contract's easily pushed around because there's just not of liquidity. I mean, and- How much of that is seasonal? How much of that is because it's early August, late July, early August? It is seasonal. I will, I will give you that because it is summer. It is the summer lag. We generally see more participants in, you know, getting in September. Um, and we'll have to see how that kind of plays out. Okay. Um, but in general, I mean, the market is, you know, the market is, this whole dive started in is this market was factoring, we're going to have this huge recession, right? It's going to be a global recession. Demand's going to go up. The platform, you know, 
And um, and then we had we have this EIA discrepancy. So this discrepancy was on gasoline demand. You know, actual gasoline demand versus what the DOE is reporting, right? And ever since they had that glitch where we had two weeks of no reporting whatsoever, those numbers suddenly changed. And now they're putting gasoline demand at below 2020 numbers at the height of COVID, which is to me, not to sound conspiratorial, but, but to me, there's just no way that we are below 2020 numbers. Right. And if you look at gas buddy demand, which is, it's a, they look at it kind of a different look. What they look at is how many gallons are being sold per station across the nation. And that's how they kind of factor in what demand is. DOE is um, at, at the midpoint, right? So it's, it's like the midstream level. But those numbers should eventually correlate. Like those numbers, that discrepancy should eventually get together. So Gaspody is showing demand still growing and DOE has it kind of caving. Is that... Is that Correct. what we're saying? Okay. Long yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. I think, first of all, I think we need to look at um, the nine fourteen numbers, the the monthly the monthly numbers, which are definitely lagging. They're two months behind. But okay. you know they have been correct on production, right? So they have. Uh, I think they have weekly production at four point one million. Last um, nine fourteen monthly report was at eleven point six million. So um, I, it is lagging information, but we right. have to I think we have to start really looking at um, these weekly numbers and what the DOE is reporting and what they're not reporting. Right. Yeah. Tracy- anything, what I'm seeing just observationally, traffic seems to continue to grow. Like, uh, yeah, I'm seeing more people go, people going back into the office. I'm seeing more people take take drives where they wouldn't have taken, say, long drives before. You know this. So what we're seeing out of DOE doesn't really match with what I'm seeing observationally. I could have selection bias, but it just doesn't seem to match what we saw in April, May of 2020. At all. Albert. Yeah, I mean, Tracy. Tracy is absolutely spot on on that. Like I actually had a few people uh, note that the EIA, you know, computer glitch problems, you know, set all this thing off, and the DOE inventory shenanigans. It's starting to gain more traction with everybody. It just doesn't make. It just doesn't add up. When things don't add up, you know, you know, you know, bad bad data comes in, and it's politically advantageous for the moment to try to get gasoline down. You know, going into midterm. So, I mean, Tracy's absolutely one thousand percent spot on on that assessment. Great. Um, okay, so Tracy, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, we've got a chart on uh, refinery capacity utilization. And it shows capacity utilization at about 91%. So last month we were talking about it being at 94-ish percent. Now it's at 91%. What's happened? Has the denominator grown? Is there well, that's not actually a bad thing. Let me tell you that refineries operating at 94-95% leads to a lot of problems. It leads to sure. you're gonna see problems with maintenance you're going to see so you're stretching that capacity you know mm-hmm. per- personally i love anything over 90 90 91 i'm much more comfortable with than 94 95 which we got to which is very stressing to me because you're stressing those refineries right so that, 
right? And that's going to lead to problems down the road. So for that to come down is not that not a big deal to me, to be honest. You know, anything above 90, great. We're good. Okay. So we've seen we've seen gasoline prices fall as we've seen capacity utilization fall. And so is that a statement about the uh, say the denominator, meaning the available capacity, or is that a statement about falling demand? I don't think it's a statement about necessarily anything. Okay. To be honest. Is it expectations around, say, the, the gasoline price falling? Is it ex expectations maybe around recession? But given the way the yeah, job I mean, numbers we got. Expectations about being around recession, right? When we're seeing these prices fall. Um, and I think there's, we have a lack of participants in this market. Right. Especially lack of participants in the physical markets, right? The physical guys, like guys that trade for BP and Shell and whatsoever, they're just not in this market anymore because it's too volatile. It's too pulled around and yeah. um, they, they can't deal with that right now. So there's nothing, there's nothing structurally changed about the physical markets right now. And you have to understand too, is that the paper markets far outweigh the physical markets, meaning that there's far more paper barrels traded than there are actual available physical barrels on the market to be traded. Right. And when we look at a contract like um, WTI, which is actually physically deliver deliverable, um, and we look at the market participants that are involved in deliverability, um, the, 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 that is a shrinking, shrinking, shrinking margin. And then you look at something like uh, Brent, the Brent contract is completely just a financial contract, right? So yeah. there's a lot of hanky-panky going on in that market. Yeah, interesting. Okay, now one last question while we're on crude. You know, months and months ago, we kept hearing about this uh, emerging commodity super cycle. And as we've seen commodities fall over the past few months, there have been some questions about, you know, is that really happening? So where are you? Do you think we're in the early stages of another super cycle or do you think we're just kind of muddling through? I actually think we're still in the early stages of a super cycle. I mean, I think we're kind of like, I think my best comparison sake would be like, let's look at the 1970s, right? And everybody was looking at that 73, 74 when um, the oil embargo happened and that's what, but I actually think we're closer to the 67, 69 era where we saw inflation kind of hit, right? They tried to, um, hike us into a recession. And then we had another peak in 73, 74 because of uh, issues with the markets. And then, and then we had a third wave. So I actually think we're only in this first wave of an inflationary cycle as far as commodities are concerned, okay. because we're still in a structural supply deficit across not just the energy sector, but um, base metals, um, agriculture, et cetera, because you have to think your input costs for um, for metals and for agriculture is all energy, which are yep. highest. So if you know energy is high, if you see inflation in, in energy costs, then you're going to see inflation across all of these commodity sectors. And you know, think you know we're at ninety dollars. I mean, we were at negative thirty seven dollars. <laughs> Two and a half years ago. Yeah. So to think that the word crashing is, you know. Yeah. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. That perspective is is really valuable. 
Okay, let's let's switch over to uh, China and technology and and kind of talk through uh, a few things with Albert. Um, obviously, Albert, we spoke earlier about Pelosi's visit to Taiwan and U.S. China Taiwan mm-hmm. um, affairs, and I you know recommend anybody uh, view that that we published uh, on uh, Tuesday night U.S. time. Um, but I'm curious, Albert, as as we look at and we've got KWeb uh, up on the screen, which is a um, uh, an ETF of Chinese technology companies. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of middling. It's not really you know falling. It's not really rising. It seems like people are are a little bit uncertain about what's happening with with Chinese tech. You know, we have the um, the, the closures of uh, different cities. We have one of the big manufacturing cities that's going zero COVID now. Um, and, you know, we obviously have the China-Taiwan issues. So what are your thoughts on China tech right now? And what should we expect over the next, say, two to three months? Uh, well, you know, over the next over the next two, three months, I think China is going to be forced to stimulate. Once they stimulate names like you know, K-Web, Alibaba. Actually, I really like Alibaba. There's some good things happening there. I mean, the delisting stuff is a risk and has always been a risk mainly because Gensler and Yellen have been trying to suppress the Chinese to stop stimulus because it hurts the United States, you know, and their plans to fight inflation. So, yeah, I know I do. I'm, I'm, I'm really bullish on K-Web. I really like it at, you know, 25, 26 level. It's not that far from where we are right now. Um, for the Chinese tech, it's like, you know, I, I don't really think domestically there's too many problems domestically for, the, for, for K-Web. You know, I, I just for me, it's just all the delisting de- risk, you know, and like that shot, the warning shot across the bow from the U.S. OK, so when you talk about stimulus, I want to uh, understand a little bit kind of the substitutionality of stimulus. So if we have this big mortgage crisis in China where where um, where owners aren't paying their mortgages and that's even worse on the property developers and there's trillions of dollars at risk there. Um if do you think the Chinese government will intervene and help those property developers? And if they do, will that take away from stimulus that could help technology companies? They will step in, uh, but they'll step in selectively for the most, you know, the most systemically important uh, property developers with the, the with best them. connected individuals. The, the, the best connected, yeah, the <laughs> best connected. And of course, that's just how it works. Yep. But, you know, not just the best connected, but the ones that I have the most uh, that touch the most debt and whatnot. So they don't want things uh, getting out of control. So for sure they will step in. I don't think it'll take away from uh, the tech sector at all. I think that the, I think that the Chinese have been pretty pragmatic and diversifying um, how they get money into the system. The tech set, you know, whether it be other Asian countries, the U S Europe and whatnot, but they're definitely, they're definitely on, on in line right now to, uh, to stimulate the economy going into the fall. Okay, great. And so, um, so if you're if you're trying right now and you're talking about stimulus, that is to make up for kind of the COVID zero close downs. But it's also, I would assume, kind of winning some of those hearts and minds going into the big political um, meetings in November, right? So you've whipped up nationalism with the Taiwan thing over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And now you need a bridge to get you to November. So you're going to put out a bunch of stimulus to keep people, you know, uh, fairly nationalistic and obedient. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's definitely fair to say. I think going even a little bit further than that is keeping the the, the circle around Xi happy. You know, that that nexus of, you know, uh, connected families 
that make money off the you know tech sector, manufacturing right. sector. You know, right. you know they they need to get a little bit. Uh, they need to be solidified economically, and right. definitely stimulus will be targeted like that. And so, when you say keep those families happy, you're talking about skimming. You're talking about sweet deals on contracts and that sort of thing. And I just want to make clear that doesn't only happen in China. That happens in every country, right? Oh, <laughs> every country you can imagine that right. that happens. However, the political connected with the donors, right. the political parties, and so on and so forth. I mean, I just want to make clear to, to viewers like everybody. Yeah, I just want to make clear to it, viewers we're not just picking on China. This happens everywhere. No, 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 no. This, this is nothing. This is nothing negative towards China whatsoever. This this literally happens in every country in every yeah. single sector. Okay, great. That's good. Thanks for that. Now, let's move on uh, for both of you guys. You know, we had a question come in from uh, a regular viewer talking about one of Sam's calls. He's not here, so you can talk behind his back today. Um, uh, the question was, Sam had talked about risks being to the upside uh, a while ago for SPY, for the S&P 500. Um, mm -hmm. Now that we have had a mini rally, does he still see higher as the path of least resistance or is the risk reward fairly balanced here? I mean, we've seen a really nice uptick in uh, in the S and P and in equities generally. Do you think there's still you know, upside benefit, or do you, would you be a little bit hesitant in terms of the broad market? I'm bullish for a week, uh, basically week. going. Yeah, a week, maybe two. Um, I think that the CPI number is probably going to be concocted to come a little bit lower than people think, and then. Uh, all the peak inflation people are going to come out the woodwork and and then they're going to talk about, you know, Fed pivot, whether it's real or not. I don't think the Fed actually pivots. I think they just build a narrative of a pivot, if that makes sense, to rally the market. But going forward, I mean, it's just the economy is not on good footing. You know, this, this job numbers is just not accurate. It's a, it's a purely political uh, headline for Biden going into the midterms. CPI is going to follow the same suit. They'll okay. probably have a 50 basis point rate hike in September and say that, you know, they're slowing down and okay. whether it's real or not. I, I want to question you, Albert, just to push back a little bit. When you say the economy is not on a good footing, what do you mean? Help me understand how it's not on a good footing. Well, I mean, the whole jobs, I mean, listen, like 20% of people don't have a job. 19% of people have two jobs or more. You're sitting there, you're sitting there making this this glorified, you know, headlines that Biden's great for the for the job market and the economy, but it's just not accurate. I mean, I mean, we have people that, you know, are struggling the struggling paycheck to paycheck more than more than any time in the last like twenty or thirty years. So like, right. so the underlying economy. Forget about the top half that are millionaires that are buying, you know, whatever. The bottom half of the country is an absolute recession. So that's what I'm saying that the economy is not. It's just not good. Okay, Tracy, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Albert. I mean, here's my case for, here is, I'll make a case for the bullish side. Sure. Equity. Let's mm -hmm. just put it this way. So not a single trade's worked this year. Average hedge funds scrambling on how to salvage this year. There's no other choice really but to get long. I mean, we have long-only growth friends been shell-shocked. Quants, shitty year. Value guys waiting to buy the dip in cyclicals. So I think that until when, you know, when November comes and we have redemptions and these guys are faced with losing money from clients, I think that right now they have no other choice than to buy, to, to buy the dip, which is really interesting because that coincides with midterms. <laughs> right. But 
um, not to put on my tinfoil hat there, but so I'm so that's my case for we may see a little bit higher than people that anticipate, even though we're still, I agree, we're still in a bear market. Albert makes a ton of good points. Totally agree with him 100% on that. Okay. Um, but, you know, for the next few months, we may be looking at um, a different kind of thing, especially especially because we also have the CTAs that are still super short. So we have the possibility mm -hmm. that we could see a short squeeze now if hedge, hedgies start bidding up the market and... Um, yeah, no, she's, no, she's they, right. Guys get yeah. squeezed out, right? And this is exactly what the Biden, this is exactly what the administration wants to see because they want to see um, you know, the S&P higher going into midterm elections because it makes them look great. Of course, and Tracy's right, and this, this goes back into like the oil, the oil numbers from the DOE and the EIA shenanigans is like they, they, lower, they lower gas, they try to get inflation lower, they rally the market going into, into midterms. It's just the way it is. Now, going back to the economy real quick, Tony, I see across the screen the U.S. consumer credit was $40 billion. I mean, people are spending and collecting debt like it's going out of stock. That is yeah. not, that's not a good number. You saw my tweet this last week about the $15 grapes. I mean, you know, that sounds ridiculous, but people are having to. I, I talked to people about their electricity bills and they're doubling and tripling over the last few months. And so, you know, people are having to do this. Rents are doubling in New York and so on and so forth. So it's hitting everybody and people are having to tap into consumer credit just to make ends meet. The, just, so, just, for the, just for the viewers, Tony, the forecast was 27 billion. It came in at 40. Thanks. Wow. You know, that's the stunning number. overestimates, they would say. <laughs> yeah, really stunning. <laughs> okay, so, so let me ask you, let me ask you a quick question about the Fed pivot. Okay. So, so you say the Fed's going to kind of act like they pivot, but not actually pivot. So would that mean, and I know everyone's been on Twitter today or on social media saying, oh, the, the jobs number, you know, puts 75 basis points in focus again, all this stuff. But would would a, a pivot, the start of a pivot be a 50 or 25 basis point rise? This the start of a narrative of a pivot would be 50. But let's just be let's just be honest, inflation is not going away. Now they can fake a CPI number maybe one, maybe two months. But yeah. come October, December, uh, January, and inflation's raging nine point whatever, nine point five, ten percent. They're gonna have to raise. They're gonna have to keep going seventy five. Yeah, you know basis points. Let's you know, just enjoy to, the next couple back. months with a lower. <laughs> it would be nice to enjoy that for a couple of months. So don't kill it, Albert. But it's good to know that. Um, so okay, that makes sense. So when you talk about a pivot, you're talking about the beginning of a pivot, maybe a 50 basis point rise in September or something, just to kind of ease nerves off a little bit. All yeah, right. th that's exactly what it is. It's just an, it's just the beginning of a narrative to move okay. the markets. That's all it is. Okay. So Tracy, yeah, I agree. If we, if we went 50 instead of or even 25 instead of 75, which the market mm -hmm. is expecting, the bond market would freak out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, what happens to commodities in that? In that case, Tracy, if we're in September and we oh go to fifty, you're going higher. You're going higher. Okay. But this is this is exactly this is the problem. I keep telling, like, screaming people, and why I didn't think that they, that's why I didn't think this rally was a good idea is because all of a sudden now you're going to create this stupid pyramid narrative, and 
you know, do 25 or 50 basis points. But then, like, like Tracy just mentioned, commodities are going to rip. What's that going to happen? Then we're going to have stage two of inflation coming around in 2023. That's going to make this look like nothing. Yeah, but as long as it happens after November, I think. And everything's fine. Right. No, I, I mean, seriously, we have to think we're in that, we're in those closing. Well, exactly. You have to think everything is political right now. And so yep. every decision is political right now. And you have to factor that into kind of your investment thesis right now. Yep. Because that yeah, is. Yeah. Tracy's absolutely right. Like, I was just talking to a client. I said, I don't want to hear anything after November. November of this year. This this era is this era right now. After November is a different era. We'll talk about that, you know, accordingly in the next yep. month, two months, you know. But until now, it's just a pure political game. Great. Okay, so let's move on to the week ahead. What are you guys watching in particular for the week ahead? CPI. Oh, sorry, no. Albert, go ahead. No, 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 CPI, I think the, I think the CPI coming a little bit lower than people expect, and we'll rally the market for another hundred points. Like a seven handle or something? Uh, I, you know, I, I think it'll be a seven handle. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Tracy, what do you think about that? I mean, everybody's watching CPI. I agree. I'm watching CPI as well. I think what's really interesting going into this next week is I would start looking at basin industrial metals and uh, miners at this point because I think that. They are lagging crude. They have been lagging crude oil, but we're kind of starting to see a little bit of turnaround. So my focus really is going to be on base and industrial metals and miners. Fantastic. Very good. Guys, thank you very much. This has been great. Have a great week ahead. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Sonny.